0: Makkah, the Kaaba, and the Quraysh, the father of prophets, Khalilullah. The name of Abraham does not at all require an introduction for who is unacquainted with Khalilullah, the father of prophets. He is accepted by the Muslims, Christians, and Jews alike. In approximation, his era has been declared to be 2100 to 2200 years before Christ. In other words, Abraham lived approximately 2,700 to 2,800 years prior to the advent of the Holy Prophet Abraham was a descendant of Noah and was a resident of Iraq. However, later on, he traveled through Egypt and ultimately settled in Northern Palestine. He married three times. The name of his first wife was Sarah. That of his second was Hagar, and the name of his third wife was Keturah. The particulars of the last of these wives are not known, nor are we concerned with them in this particular instance. However, it would not be irrelevant to mention that she was among the descendants of the nation of Midian. Among his first two wives, Sarah was a close relative of Abraham, but Hagar was not related to him and was a native of Egypt. Both of these wives begot children who spread in such multitude As today they are found in every corner of the world. Ishmael was born of Hagar and was the eldest son of Abraham and Isaac was born of Sarah. Both of these children were born under the distinct glad tidings of God and both were promised the accompaniment of extraordinary blessings from God the Almighty. Their names were also given by divine revelation. Moreover, in relation to Ishmael, Abraham and Hagar had especially prayed for him, as is apparent from his name, which in fact is a compound of the words sa, Mia, and Il. Therefore, God the Almighty made both of these children the recipients of immense blessings and, as promised, enriched the progeny of both these children with virtually everything every type of reward in this world. Therefore, the Banu Israel, among whom such high-ranking prophets were born, such as Moses, David, Solomon, and Jesus, were the descendants of Isaac. However, presently we are concerned with the Banu Ismail, who settled in Arabia, from whom the being of the pride of the first and the pride of the last, Muhammad, the prophet of God, peace and blessings of God be upon him, was born. Settlement in Hejaz and the population of Mecca. Ishmael was t- Still a child when his stepmother Sarah, at one occasion, in her anger, asked Abraham to expel Hagar and her son from home. Naturally, Abraham was very grieved by the thought of this. However, God the Almighty instructed Abraham, Grieve not, nor be offended, rather do as Sarah has suggested. Isaac is also your offspring, but I wish to produce a nation from Hagar's son, Ishmael. Hence, in accordance with this divine instruction, Abraham traveled hundreds of miles in order to settle Ishmael and his mother Hagar in the valley of Bakkah, situated in the Arabian region of Hijaz. This valley is where Makkah is now populated. At that time, it was a completely uninhabited and desolate valley. In this valley, near the mountains of Safa and Marwa, Abraham left these two helpless and forlorn souls in the midst of the desert with diminutive provisions and left for his homeland. On observing Abraham leaving, Hagar followed him anxiously and inquired in words of extreme pain, where are you going? And why do you abandon us in this manner? Abraham silently stepped forward and did not respond. At last, Hagar said, at least say something. Has God commanded you? Yes, Abraham responded. If it is God who has commanded this, then without a doubt you may depart for God shall not forsake us. After this statement, Hagar returned. The Holy Quran alludes to this instance in the words of Abraham as follows. In other words, when Abraham began to depart after leaving Hagar, and Ishmael, in the valley of Mecca, at some distance, he cast a glance back and supplicated before God in the following manner. Our Lord, I have settled some of my children in an uncultivatable valley near thy sacred house. Our Lord, I have done so that they may worship thee and their lives may be dedicated to thee. So make men's heart incline towards them and provide them with the best of fruits that they may be grateful to thee." Generally historians narrate, and it is also mentioned in Hadith, that upon the complete depletion of her provisions, due to natural human necessity, Hagar became concerned for the well-being of her child. She began to dash here and there in search of water, but not a drop of water was to be found and the infant's condition continued to deteriorate. Ultimately, Hagar could not bear the sight of Ishmael's worsening condition. Hence, she got up so that she would not be compelled to witness the death of her child by thirst and looked towards the heavens and cried. Again, she began to run here and there in search of water. She climbed up the mountain of Safa where she was unable to find anything. She ran to the mountain of Marwa. From there, she once again ran back to Safa and in this manner performed seven circuits between these mountains in a state of extreme anxiety and helplessness. At the same time, she would cry bitterly and would supplicate continuously before God, but no water could be found, nor was there a man in sight. At last, when Hagar's anguish reached its pinnacle after seventh circuit she heard an unseen voice saying "O oh hager god has heard the cry of you and your son upon hearing this voice she returned to where her child writhed in agony and found an angel of god striking the ground with the heel of his foot in a manner as if excavating the extraction of something as hager moved forward she found a spring of water gushing forth where the angel plowed the earth by the heel of his foot. Hagar's joy knew new bounds. She immediately quenched the thirst of her infant child, and in her concern that water be not wasted, she placed stones at the surrounding perimeter of the spring, thus transforming it into a reservoir. It is narrated by Hazrat Ibn Abbas that the Holy Prophet would say, May God have mercy on Hagar, for had she not controlled this water, it would have become a flowing stream. The Holy Prophet wasallam would also state, During the pilgrimage, the Sa'i between Safa and Marwa is in sacred remembrance of Hagar. A brief and somewhat transposed and altered version of these accounts is mentioned in the Bible as well. The Holy Prophet honored the sacred remembrance of Hagar with such a magnitude that in another narration, at one instance, the Prophet said to his companions, When God makes you the victors of Egypt, treat the people of Egypt with goodness and kindness. On account of our mother Hagar, the people of Egypt possess a distinct right upon you. In any case, after Abraham left Hagar and Ishmael in the abandoned land of Mecca and then departed, a divine spring came into being. Afterwards, due to this spring of water, which is known as the Fountain of Zamzam in Islamic history, other people also began to settle on the Valley of Becca, and the habitation of Mecca commenced. It was a branch of the Banu Katan. This tribe emigrated from Yemen and was initially settled at some distance from the Valley of Becca. However, when they were informed of the... The existence of Zamzam, their chieftain named Madad bin Amr Jarhumi sought the permission of Hagar to settle in the close proximity of the water spring. Hagar gladly granted permission and this is how the tribe of Jarhum settled in the valley of Becca. Ishmael Zabiullah After having settled Hagar and Ishmael in the valley of Becca, Abraham would occasionally visit and then return when ishmael grew older that is to say in light of various narrations when he reached the age of thirteen abraham saw a dream in which he was slaughtering his son ishmael since no injunction on the prohibition of actual human sacrifice has been revealed to abraham and human sacrifice was a custom in the country abraham desired to fulfill this dream in the literal sense abraham indicated his intent to ishmael who responded Indeed, fulfill your dream, for I present myself to fulfill the command of God. Hence, Abraham took Ishmael to the outskirts of the inhabitation and lay him on the ground in order to sacrifice him. This extraordinarily loyal son also placed his neck before his father in complete silence and contentment. Abraham was about to proceed, knife in hand, when an angel of God called out, O Abraham, verily you have fulfilled your dream. Now release Ishmael and in his stead sacrifice a ram in the way of God. Apparently, this is its symbolic allusion. However, the actual purport of this dream shall be fulfilled in another man. Therefore, Abraham did as he was commanded, and in its remembrance, the custom of sacrificing animals at the occasion of Hajj was established among the Muslims. There is a disaccord in the actual inference of this dream however in our belief the true meaning is that slaughtering symbolically refers to devoting one's life for the sake of god which in relation to one's worldly life is equivalent to bringing it to an end. Therefore, it is apparent that the purpose of settling Ishmael in Mecca was the construction of the Kabatullah, and that the life of Ishmael be devoted in the service of God and in the establishment of monotheism. When, with the passage of time, idolatry overcame monotheism, God the Almighty gave rise to Muhammad, the prophet of God, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, from the descendants of Ishmael, in order to fulfill the sacred dream. This man, along with his companions, sacrificed his entire life in the propagation and publication of monotheism in its true letter and spirit. It is this great slaughtering, or in other words, this magnificent sacrifice to which the Holy Quran alludes while stating that we decreed a glorious sacrifice in exchange for the literal slaughtering of Ishmael. The custom of slaughtering animals among the Muslims at the occasion of Hajj is also to rejuvenate this sacred memory, in that every one should always be prepared to sacrifice themselves in the way of their Lord. A rebuttal to various allegations leveled against Ishmael and Hagar. At this point, it is imperative to mention that various Christian historians raise the allegation that there is no historical evidence that Ishmael settled in Arabia. Therefore, the fact that the Holy Prophet was a descendant of the children of Ishmael also lacks authenticity. Moreover, they claim that the child whom Abraham wished to slaughter, as the Bible contends, was in fact Isaac and not Ishmael. The brief confutation of both these allegations have been provided below. The rebuttal to the first allegation is as follows. It is categorically proven in light of the unanimous narrations of the Arabs that Ishmael settled in Arabia and that the Quraysh of Makkah are his descendants. There is not even a single narration found before the time of the Holy Prophet, or in subsequent eras, that confutes this fact. Moreover, the greatest testimony about the history of a nation is its own authentic narration. Therefore, in the existence of the above-mentioned testimony, no fair-minded individual can doubt that the fact that Ishmael settled in Arabia and that the Garash are the descendants of his blessed progeny. The Holy Qur'an, which is accepted by both friend and foe for its historical credibility, also considers the Garash as being descendants of the children of Ishmael. The Bible admits that due to the displeasure of Sarah, Ishmael and Hagar were exiled from their homeland. If Hejaz is not the country of their settlement, then where is it that his descendants are found? It is acknowledged by the Bible that Ishmael and his mother settled in a completely abandoned desert region, where no food was to be found, and which was empty of habitation. This illustration is in complete accordance with the desolate valley of Becca. Moreover, the Bible evidently substantiates that Hagar and Ishmael settled in Faran irrespective of the fact that the word Faran in actuality means an uninhabited barren region arabian geographers unanimously concur that Faran is the name given to the mountains of Makkah or Hejaz those who have visited arabia are well aware that in the valley of Fatima which is situated between Makkah and Medina If one inquires of the youth who sell the Jadhima flower there, where this flower has been brought from, they will answer, in other words, from the desert of Firan. In the existence of this narration, even if Firan is the name of another region, undoubtedly let it be so. However, since the existence of Firan in Hejaz is categorically confirmed, assuredly the Firan of Ishmael must be considered the one situated in Hejaz and no other. The Bible also mentions that after Ishmael departed from his homeland, his descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur. Moreover, Christian research scholars have themselves acknowledged that Havilah and Shur imply the opposite sides of Arabia. In the Bible, Ishmael is referred to by the use of the word wild or one who resides in the desert. And as a matter of fact, this particularity is mentioned by God Almighty as a prophecy to imply the fact that Ishmael would Would be one to reside in the desert. This verity fully corresponds to the settlement of Ishmael in Mecca. In addition, a cause of greater astonishment is that the word Arab also means a deserted and abandoned region, as is apparent by the word which refers to those who inhabit the desert. Saint Paul, a renowned leader of the Christians, has also admitted that Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, bore relation to Arabia. From the testimony of the Bible is evident that the descendants of Kedar, who was assuredly the son of Ishmael, inhabited the region of Arabia. The Encyclopedia makes mention of this very Kedar, the son of Ishmael, stating, he was the son of Ishmael whose descendants settled in the northern region of Arabia. Based on the above mentioned argumentation, it has been become manifest in the similitude of broad daylight that Ishmael settled in Arabia and that a portion of the Arabian people are in fact his descendants. Since it is proven, it cannot be considered just to reject all the forceful narrations of the Arabs which confirm the Quraysh to be descendants of the progeny of Ishmael. The second question is, who was the sacrificial offering? In other words, which son did Abraham intend to sacrifice in the way of God? In this regard, it must be remembered that this question does not hold much significance. Whether Ishmael is proven to be the sacrificial offering or Isaac, this is in no way influences the claim of the Holy Prophet ﷺ or the fundamental principles of Islam. Nonetheless, as a historical occurrence, this matter is worthy of research in order to deduce who in fact was the sacrifice. Hence, as mentioned above, in our opinion, the correct perception is that Ishmael was the one to be slaughtered and not Isaac. Undoubtedly, the Bible refers to Isaac as the sacrificial offering. However, firstly, the historical merit of the Bible is not very solid. Secondly, the account of the Bible itself negates this claim and the testimony of Islamic narrations further strengthens it. In any case, a summary of our argumentation with relevance to this matter is presented below. Number one, the Holy Quran states that Abraham prayed to us for righteous and truthful offspring, and we gave him the glad tidings of a humble and submissive son. When the child grew older, Abraham saw in a dream that he was slaughtering that son. Upon this, Abraham became prepared to sacrifice his son literally for the sake of God, and the son submitted himself to the command of Allah. However, just as Abraham was about to pass a knife over his child's neck, an angel of God stopped him from doing so. Then after this, it is mentioned that Abraham was given the glad tidings of the birth of Isaac. From this account, it becomes clearly evident that the son whom Abraham was set to slaughter was Ishmael and not Isaac. The Holy Quran has connected the occurrence of the slaughtering with the eldest son of Abraham, who was indeed Ishmael, and the mention of the birth of Isaac follows subsequently. If Isaac was the intended sacrificial offering, the occurrence of the slaughtering should have been linked to Isaac and not to the old eldest son of Abraham the holy quran also states that when god bestowed upon abraham the glad-tiding of his son isaac the glad-tiding of his son jacob was also given therewith in other words the glad-tidings of both the son and grandson were given to abraham simultaneously now from the very start if the glad tiding of isaac along with that of jacob was also present how was it possible for abraham to have agreed to literally slaughter his son isaac when he clearly knew that his own son's life is meant to last at least until a son is born to him it is mentioned in hadith that the Holy Prophet stated, I am the son of two sacrificial offerings, firstly Ishmael, and secondly Abdullah bin Abdul Mutlib, whom the grandfather of the Holy Prophet wished to sacrifice as an oblation, and who prepared himself to do so. From this hadith, it is at least proven that to the Holy Prophet the actual fact of the matter was that Ishmael was the offering and not I. It is proven from the Bible that it was a custom of the progeny of Abraham that the eldest son was dedicated in the way of God. In a spiritual connotation, dedication for the sake of God is equivalent to slaughtering. Therefore, observance of the custom and the offspring of Abraham proves that the sacrificial offering was Ishmael, because he was the eldest son of Abraham and Isaac was his younger son. Number 5. All of the customs pertaining to sacrificial slaughtering on a national level were found among the Arabs and still exist among them today. None of these customs are found among the Banu Israel. This is solid evidence the one to be slaughtered was Ishmael and not Isaac. If the one to be sacrificed had in fact been Isaac, then these customs and traditions should have been found among the Banu Israel instead of the Banu Ishmael. However, the current situation is completely opposite. For example, it is apparent from the Bible that those whose lives were devoted in the way of God would refrain from shaving their heads. Although the Bible claims that Isaac was to be slaughtered, yet no such custom is to be found among the Banu Israel as can be commemorative of that sacrifice. However, quite the contrary, among the Arabs, this tradition was existent not only prior to the advent of Islam but also continued afterwards as well. Therefore, at the occasion of Hajj, the prior to the slaughtering of their animal sacrifice, it was a custom among the Arabs to refrain from shaving their head are trimming their hair, which remained a part of Islamic tradition as well. In the same manner, it was a custom among Arabs to offer animal sacrifices on the occasion of Hajj, which was in reminiscence of the ram that was sacrificed instead of Ishmael. And this custom also remained a part of Islam. However, this tradition cannot be found in the Banu Israel at all. In light of these examples, it is apparent that the inheritance of sacrifice was endowed to the children of Ishmael and not to the progeny of Isaac. Of course, the ancestor of the nation which inherited the heritage of sacrifice should himself be considered the sacrificial offering. Number 6. In the Bible, the place where this sacrifice was offered, in other words, the altar was in a place called Moriah. However, the whereabouts of that place are not clearly mentioned. Nonetheless, it is mentioned that it is a mountainous region. On account of the Bible's lack of elaboration in this instance, Jewish and Christian scholars have fallen to disaccord in regards to the true geographic location of this place. However, upon deliberation, it becomes clear that the mountainous region in the close proximity of Mecca named Marwa perfectly conforms to this name and explanation. The minor difference is the pronunciation of this name is insignificant due to the variation of languages. Undoubtedly, it is true that now at the occasion of Hajj, Sacrifices are offered at Minna rather than Marwa. However, firstly, Minna and Marwa are in close proximity to one another. Secondly, it is proven by a statement of the Holy Prophet ﷺ in a Hadith that the actual altar was in fact Marwa, which was later relocated to a place away from the residential area due to an abundance of pilgrims. Number 7. Although the Bible has stated that Isaac was one to be slaughtered yet such facts are mentioned in the, in the elaboration of this occurrence as only apply to Ishmael and not Isaac the occurrence of the sacrificial offering has been mentioned in the book of Genesis in the Bible. Anyhow, where Isaac referred to as the sacrifice, he has also been described as the only son of Abraham. Even though it is obvious that Isaac cannot in any case be referred to as the only son of Abraham, if anyone possesses the right to be thought of as an only son, it is indeed Ishmael. In actuality, Ishmael was the only son of Abraham for approximately 13 to 14 years, whereas Isaac never acquired this position. On this foundation is clearly evident that initially the Bible referred to Ishmael as a sacrificial offering as well, but later changed to Isaac by Jewish scholars under the influence of national antagonism. However, various minutiae have slipped their acknowledgment, which clearly unveil this unjust attempt at a transposition of words. Similarly, The Bible states that after God prescribed Abraham from slaying his son, he addressed Abraham, saying, Since you have not hesitated in slaying your only son in the way of God, I shall now bless your offspring abundantly, and all the nations of the world shall be blessed by your progeny. It is apparent from these words that the actual sacrificial offering was the son, from whose progeny that magnificent prophet was destined to be born, who without the distinctions of nationality and country was to be sent for the whole world. Of course, it is obvious that this covenant was fulfilled by the advent of the Holy Prophet ﷺ because it was this very Prophet who commissioned to the entire world. Therefore, the Holy Prophet states, Prior to me, Prophets were commissioned to their particular nations alone, but I have been sent to all nations of the world. As compared to this proclamation, the statement of the last Prophet of the Bani Israel, Jesus Christ, is worthy of mention which he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and also that. I have not come to cast the children's bread before the dogs. The limited jurisdiction of the Israelite prophets and in comparison, the universal prophethood of the Holy Prophet is categorical evidence of the fact that the promise of giving blessings to all the nations, which was bestowed upon Abraham as a reward for the sacrifice of his son, was not fulfilled through the progeny of Isaac, rather by the children of Ishmael. Therefore, the sacrificial offering was in fact Ishmael, And not Isaac. Prior to the conclusion of this discussion, it is necessary to respond to another allegation which was leveled against the person of Hagar by various prejudiced Christians. The accusation is that Hagar was merely a slave girl, and that the actual wife of Abraham was Sarah. Thus, the Holy Prophet is the descendant of a slave girl. In relation to this accusation, the first aspect which should be kept in mind is that this allegation is leveled merely on the foundation of malice and enmity. The same mouth at the same time cannot possibly level both these charges. Namely, that the Holy Prophet is not the descendant of Ishmael and that the Holy Prophet is a descendant of a slave girl. For both these statements are completely in contradiction to one another. However, since the purpose is to ensure that if one allegation does not hit its target, the second should take its place. For this reason, the same breath seems to be exhaling both hot and cold air simultaneously. However, the truth is that both these allegations are false and ineffectual. The ancestry of the Holy Prophet wasallam, from the children of Ishmael has already been discussed previously. As far as the allegation related to Hager is concerned, its rebuttal is as follows. Firstly, there's no conclusive evidence which can prove that Hager was a slave girl. Generally, the word has been used in Arab transcripts for Hagar, which means both a slave girl as well as a girl. However, even if it is hypothetically accepted that Hagar was once a slave, none can reject the fact that when Abraham took her in matrimonial tie, he kept her as his wife and not as a slave girl. Furthermore, if to merely remain in the bondage of slavery for a while is objectionable, and those who raise allegations should bear in mind that even Sarah was not protected from this blemish. It is confirmed that upon the arrival of Abraham to Egypt, the Pharaoh took Sarah away from Abraham and took her into his possession as a slave. She was granted freedom after some time. Moreover, Joseph, son of Jacob, a noble ancestor of the Banu Israel, was also made a slave and then sold in Egypt, where he spent a significant period of his life this is such an instance as is even known to the bondage of slavery this cannot become a cause of reproach in fact there is no proof of the fact that hagar was a slave girl at all as a matter of fact all that has been evidently established is that when the pharaoh fell in awe of abraham and sarah after his disgraceful action not only did he release sarah but also presented a noble and intelligent girl to Abraham and Sarah and that girl was Hagar. Furthermore, the Bible and Islamic narrations both allude to the fact that the Pharaoh fell into immense awe of Abraham and Sarah and as a result of their grandeur and spiritual power. Therefore, it would not be a surprising notion if Hagar was among the close relatives of the Pharaoh who was presented to Abraham and Sarah. In reparation of the wrong committed by the Pharaoh against Sarah. On account of this, perhaps she was later declared a slave girl. This is not a mere notion, rather various ancient research scholars have presented this ideology as an established fact. A Jewish scholar by the name of Dab Shalom writes in his commentary of the Torah that Hagar was the very daughter of the Pharaoh whom he had presented to Sarah upon witnessing her spiritual power. Therefore, the accusation of being a slave girl is completely false and incorrect however hypothetically even if it is proven that she was a slave indeed slavery in which an innocent individual is forcefully stripped of freedom and made a slave cannot be the cause of imperfection if it is so then not a single noble and free nation of the world can be held exempt from the blemish of slavery the nation of the banu israel itself was taken into bondage of slavery an extended period of time, first in Egypt and then in Babylon. Nonetheless, on account of this, the prophets and kings of the Bani Israel cannot be categorized as the sons of slaves. Moreover, no Israelite be held rightfully liable for taunt or reproach on account of Sarah, who was temporarily imprisoned by the Pharaoh, nor Joseph, who spent a significant portion of his life in the house of the Pharaoh as a slave. Construction of the Kaaba Following this secondary yet necessary discussion, we now return to our actual subject matter. It has already been mentioned that under divine command, Abraham brought Hagar and her infant child to settle in the desolate valley of Mecca, after which he returned home. When Abraham visited Mecca for the second and third time, Hagar had passed away. Coincidentally, Ishmael was also absent, due to which a reunion of father and son could not take place. Upon this, Abraham honored Mecca with his presence a fourth time. And this time, together, both of them began the construction of a house of worship in Mecca. The house of worship was in fact quite old, and its markings had been destroyed. Abraham proposed to build a house anew after receiving divine knowledge. In the construction of this house, Ishmael was a helper in the task of reconstruction and would collect and hand over stones to his father. When the walls were raised to some height, Abraham placed a distinctive stone at the at one corner of the Kaaba as an indication for the people to commence their Tawaf of the Bayatullah. This stone is known as the e Aswad, which is kissed during the Tawaf of the Kaaba either by lips or by the indication of one's hand. However, one should bear in mind that the e Aswad in itself is not a sacred thing, nor can it be considered shirk to kiss it during the tawaf. Rather, it is merely present as a symbolic indication, and in actuality, true sanctity is merely of the virtuous narrations adherent to the Holy Kaaba. Therefore, in Hadith, it is related that on one occasion when Hazrat Umar was performing tawaf of the Kaaba, he turned towards the Hajar Eswad and said, O oh stone, I know well that you are but a stone which possesses not the power to cause benefit or harm. Had I not seen the messenger of God kissing you, I would never have kissed you. In addition to this, it should also be remembered that during the Tawaf, not only is the Hajar eswad kissed, but its neighboring corner is also kissed. The remaining two corners are not kissed due to an alteration in the original location of this outer wall of the Kaaba. Hence, from this perspective as well, the Hajar is in no way distinct. Nevertheless, together Abraham and Ishmael erected a square-shaped structure built of unshaped stones and with no roof. Its height was four and a half yards, its length sixteen yards, and its width eleven yards. It is this very Kaaba which today is a sanctuary for all.